Morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Good? I want to talk to you today about hostile environments. Hostile environments. When I say hostile environment, what comes to your mind? Maybe with football season, playing at an opponent's field is a hostile environment. If I talk about Democrats and Republicans, that can be a hostile environment. If I say politics, it can become hostile. If I talk about racial tension, it can become hostile. The riots that we've seen in our country and the protests and the crowds, you can drive up and down I-35, that's a hostile environment in and of itself. Some marriages are a hostile environment. Some homes are a hostile environment. I've got a good friend who coaches in East Texas. His son-in-law was on one of the last transport out of, the, uh, out of Kabul, out of the airport. That's a hostile environment. So what comes to your mind when I say hostile environment? My dad um, served on the school board in Weatherford, Oklahoma back in the 60s, and I remember him telling me some stories about school boards. If you've ever served on a school board, you know about hostile environments. If you've ever attended a school board meeting, it can certainly be a hostile environment. My dad would say people from the town would show up, and they'd be kind of angry, to say the least, and some of them were very hostile situations. Hostile environments, I mean, that, that seems to describe our world today. A world seems to be a hostile environment. We're divided on just about every topic, and not just divided. The opinions come out, not just the opinions. It gets very tense and hostile. I mean, masks or no masks can be a hostile situation. Vaccination or no vaccination, that's a hostile... Just follow anything on Facebook, and people vomit all over Facebook with their hostility. Have you ever been in a hostile situation... I mean, hostile situations have been around a long time. It's nothing new. You can go back to the establishment of the church. And the church was established in a hostile situation. Just go back to the first century. We read about the establishment of the church in Thessalonica. That was a very hostile situation in Acts 17. Paul spent three Sabbaths reasoning with people. And he was explaining and proving that Jesus was the Christ. And some people believed And some people responded, and some people were hostile. Here's what we read in Acts 17. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob. They started a riot. Interesting, there was an uproar, there was a lot of noise, they caused a lot of trouble. Paul is preaching and some of the Jews, some of the religious people, some of what we would call the church-going people are upset and they're jealous and they round up a mob. They go round up some bad characters. So they went to Colleen and Gatesville and Belton and Temple and they went to the marketplace and said, hey, join join in with us on this mob. And here's what they did next. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials saying that Jason had welcomed Paul and Silas into his house. The crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Hostile situation. Here's what we keep reading. The hostile crowd was shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here And they're defying Caesar's decrees, and they're saying that there's another king besides Caesar, 
and they call their king Jesus. They're causing trouble all over the place, and now they're causing trouble here, and we need to do something about it. These are the Jews. These are the religious people. These are the church-going people, and they made Jason and the others post-bond, and they let them go, and as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away, and they said, it's probably a good idea if you leave. And they sent them to Berea. And Paul and Silas did the same thing in Berea that they did in Thessalonica. They went to the synagogue, they started preaching. It was well received. And Scripture says many of the Jews believed, and many of the, uh, uh, some prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But the hostility continued. Here's what happened. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was still preaching, and he's preaching the Word of God in Berea, they went there too. So they were upset that they were in Thessalonica. They heard they're in Berea, so they followed them there. And they're agitating the crowds, and they're stirring them up. They're inciting a riot. They're agitating. They're causing problems. It's a hostile situation. You know, most people follow preachers around because they like them. They followed them around because they didn't like them. And they didn't want anybody else to like them. They didn't want anybody else to listen to them. And I, and I tell you about this, what's going on in Thessalonica, because this is the environment that the church was established. This hostile environment. Today we can preach Jesus just about anywhere. We preach Jesus here on Sundays on a regular basis. Nobody stirs up anything. There's no agitation. There's no inciting. But back then, you preach Jesus, they threw you out of town. You preach Jesus, they killed you. So it was a hostile situation. They needed a word of encouragement, this church did. They needed a word from the Lord. And so Paul, what they got was a couple of letters from Paul. Paul wrote this church in Thessalonica a couple of different times. Now, this may very well be, most scholars say, may very well be the first, if not the first, the second letter written in the New Testament. It was a letter written to young Christians. It was a letter written to new Christians. It was a letter written to people who really didn't know much Bible. They didn't know much Bible because they're not Jews. Most of them are Greeks. So they didn't know much Old Testament. Which is why Paul doesn't quote a single Old Testament um, verse or passage in this letter. So not only are they new Christians, not only are they young Christians, not only are they new to the faith, not only are they new in the faith, but they're suffering. They're losing their jobs. They're being persecuted. They're dying. Let me put this into perspective. This, this is about A.D. 51. So if you say Jesus was born around zero, and Jesus lived about 33 years, we're less than 20 years removed from Jesus being alive on the earth. Many of these people probably heard Jesus preach. Many of these people probably knew Jesus, and now He's gone, and they're suffering, and it's very hostile, and they need a word from the Lord. So what do you tell people? What do you tell people in a hostile situation? What do you tell people who are losing their jobs? What do you tell people who are dying and being persecuted and, and in this horrible situation? Here's what Paul tells him in, Thessalon, in, in these two letters. He says, Jesus is coming back. And you're thinking, that's not really encouraging to me. But it was encouraging to Paul. 
So we're going to look at two letters that he's going to talk about Jesus coming back and how we need to prepare for the second coming of Jesus. He's going to tell them to remain faithful. He's going to tell them to love one another. He's going to tell them to grow in righteousness. He's going to tell them to stand firm in the midst of persecution and in the most hostile situation. He tells them in every single chapter of 1 Thessalonians, I just want you to know, I just want to remind you, in case you forgot, every single chapter, a reference to Jesus coming back. Let's look. Chapter 1. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Chapter 2. What is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we'll glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Chapter 3. May He strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones. Chapter 4. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Chapter 5. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every single chapter, He reminds them. Again, this is a church needing encouragement. This is a bunch of young Christians needing a word from the Lord. And Paul says, you want a word from the Lord? I just want to remind you, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. That's the word from the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at in First and Second Thessalonians. Because to most people, many people, even many Christians, maybe most Christians, I don't know, the thought of Jesus coming back may not be real encouraging to you. But it was to Paul. And that's why he writes. Most people, when you start talking about the second coming, start getting a little nervous, a little apprehensive, a little hesitant, a little scared, a little fearful, maybe even frightened, which is interesting because that's not how Scripture talks about the second coming of Jesus. The doctrine of the second coming is meant to encourage, not discourage Jesus never wanted us to dread His coming again. Here's what He says in John 14. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. So whatever you're facing today, don't let your hearts be troubled. Whatever news you receive this week, don't let your hearts be troubled. Whatever fears you have about the future, don't let your hearts be troubled. He goes on, trust in God, trust also in me. When you think about eternity, trust in God. When you think about the future, trust in God. When you think about a hostile situation, trust in God. When your week's not going very good, trust in God. When you're wondering about all of the stuff in this world, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Jesus wants that to be encouraging. We like to sing songs about Jesus coming again. Sing to me of heaven. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. How beautiful heaven must be when we all get to heaven. But it's really more than just singing the songs. The second coming, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to be expecting. Here's what we read in Matthew 24. 
At that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and He'll send His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they'll gather His elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven. Jesus doesn't even know. One day God's going to say, if you can even say day in eternity, if time means anything in eternity, God's going to tell His Son, today's the day. I want you to go. Not the Son, only the Father. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Jesus says, when you think about His coming, be ready, be looking, be watching. Here's what Jesus says in Revelation 22. Behold, I'm coming soon. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. So sometimes we sing the song, soon and very soon. Now, we may not mean it. It's a nice song. It's got a nice beat to it. It's got a nice rhythm. I like the way it sounds, but soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Hallelujah. We're going to see the king. And yet we may be thinking, not today. Not this week. I've got some things I want to do. I've got some things I want to accomplish. I've got some people that I want to see. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. Here's what Peter writes in 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. In a hostile world, live like Jesus is coming back. Listen, church, Jesus is coming back. And that should be encouraging. In whatever situation you're in right now, in whatever circumstance in life, Jesus is coming back. And Paul says that how we live demonstrates what we really believe. The return of Christ is something we ought to look forward to. The return of Christ is something we ought to live forward to. Let me share some quick statistics with you. The doctrine of the second coming. The Bible talks about the second coming eight times more than the first coming. In the New Testament, it's mentioned in 23 of 27 books. Seven out of ten chapters in the New Testament talk about the second coming. In other words, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament is going to teach us that Jesus is coming back. Jesus Himself tells us 21 times that He's coming back. There's 260 chapters in the New Testament. The second coming is mentioned 318 times. So it's Bible-believing, Christ-following people, we should be preparing for the second coming. Which is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, therefore encourage one another with these words. What words? Jesus is coming back. Encourage one another with these words. What words? Jesus is coming back. In a hostile world, these words should calm us. In a hostile world, these words should encourage us. These words should help us focus. And that's why we're going to look at First and Second Thessalonians for the next several weeks. Because just like them, we're still living in troubled times. And just like them, we have some new Christians who need encouragement. And just like them, we've got some older Christians that need to be reminded that Jesus is coming again. And just like them, we're still living with some hostile times around us. And Jesus is coming back. 
We should be waiting. We should be ready. We should be preparing because to Paul, being a Christian is living like Jesus could come at any moment. Being a Christian means that our life should be changing every day. We ought to be living holy and godly lives. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. So join us for the next several weeks as we prepare and we get ready for the second coming of Jesus. Let's pray.